Kim Sujawalski, and I'm your host here at the Brownwell Podcast, a place in which every week we talk about delicious food, about making more vegan choices no matter where you are along the way. And because food is never just about the food, I'll support and guide you to a happier, kinder, and more mindful relationship with that wonderful moment of eating. Are you ready? Lace up those trainers if you're going for a walk, or grab a cup of coffee, get comfy on the couch, and listen in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bramble Podcast. Today, I am very excited to introduce you to our special guest, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor, Charlene Adrians. I met Charlene through social media where you can find her as intuitive underscore plantardig. I am so sorry that I am probably butchering this handle because my Flemish is not so good. I will keep the handles and all of the places where you can connect with Charlene in the show notes. She is just one of those very special people sharing high quality, science-based, and especially very inspirational information on the intersection between eating a vegan diet and practicing intuitive eating, being plant-based, and also having an anti-diet approach. And I find it so helpful when professionals in the field of dietetics, health, and mental health open up conversations about this very gentle approach that, as you know, if you've been a long-time listener of this podcast, has changed my life. And that is intuitive eating. It is leaving our dieting days behind and working on body neutrality, body acceptance, and healing our relationships with food. I find it even more of a unique and special gift when people in these fields also dare to talk about how these approaches and making our choices due to ethics can intersect how intuitive eating and veganism can intersect. It is rare. It is rare. And Charlene is one of those people that just makes me feel understood that allows space for nuance both within veganism and within practicing intuitive eating. And I think that that place where those two meet is such a special place. And I am so beyond honored that she said yes to being on the podcast today. Today, I ask her so many of the questions I had when I got started on this journey, some of the questions you have asked me, some of the misconceptions there are about the intersection between vegan diets and intuitive eating. Charlene shares some of her own personal journey with food and body image and becoming a dietitian as a second career, which is very interesting. And we also dive into some of the intuitive eating principles like rejecting the diet mentality, challenging the food police, honor your hunger and feel your fullness in particular. She also shares her perspective on body image work and you'll hear her say <laughs> the phrase you've heard hundreds of times in this podcast because it's in our intro food is never just about the food. I find Charlene incredibly helpful, incredibly helpful, compassionate, and understanding of the journey each eater has to go through. And I know you will get so many actionable tips from this episode. Her approach is very practical, and I just found it hugely helpful. 
Charlene Adrians is a registered dietitian and proud certified intuitive eating counselor. As a vegan herself, she specializes in plant-based nutrition in her private practice. Nutrition is a second career for Charlene, who previously worked in the contemporary art world. While looking for a solution for her own difficult relationship with food, her interest in nutrition led her to becoming a dietitian and eventually to intuitive eating. She started her private practice in 2020, which is mainly virtual. In January 2021, she launched her very own podcast, which you'll find linked in the show notes, where she talks to her guests about how they eat plant-based and what intuitive eating means to them. As you'll hear, towards the end of the episode, Charlene sees clients in her private practice, which is mainly virtual, so you can reach out to her for a consultation and learn more about her practice and resources and enjoy her beautiful content on Instagram and through her website, which is charleneadrians.be. And again, I'll have that linked in the show notes and her Instagram handle, which I will spell out for you which is intuitif, and that is I-N-T-U-I-T-I-E-F underscore plant, and then double A-R-D-I-G. So intuitive plantardic. So um, a lot, her podcast and her Instagram content is in Flemish, but there is that magical translate button for Instagram at least, and I get so much out of her posts. So I highly, highly recommend. And as you'll see in this episode, she is absolutely fluent in English. And if you wish to have a consultation with her or DM her or have questions, I'm sure she will be more than happy that you reached out. So make sure to look for those links in the show notes. And before we start this great conversation, here's a note from our sponsor for today's show. This episode is brought to you by our signature online program, My Bramble. My Bramble is an ongoing program, all in video format, in which I teach you how to cook delicious vegan meals, get organized, give you support on your vegan journey, as well as the tools to help you find a more mindful and balanced place with food and eating. But most of all, it's an ever-growing library of online vegan cooking classes with new content added every single week. There's so much more included in the program, so go ahead and visit mybrownbull.com to learn all the details and to give it a try. That's M-Y-B-R-O-W-N-B-L-E.com. Now on with the show. Charlene, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here today. Hi, Kim. It's it's my honor. It's really a big honor to be to be on the Brundle podcast. Really, really. <laughs> um, where are you joining us from? I'm currently, I, I live in Ghent, which is in Belgium. Mm-hmm. Um, so I used to live in Bruges. I really, really love Bruges. Um, but I moved here in July last year um, because we bought a house here, me and my boyfriend. So that's where I'm at. That's wonderful. I've never been to Belgium, but it is, uh, it was, ac- we were actually going to plan a trip right before the pandemic. And then, well, here we are. We oh. haven't traveled since, but I am, I'm hoping to go there someday. I, I hear just incredible things. Yeah. If you come, we have a spare room, so please be our guests. <laughs> oh my goodness. You're so generous. That's so sweet of you. Um, so Charlene, you're here to talk to us about that intersection that is not very common between intuitive eating 
and finding peace with food and also being vegan. And we're going to get into all of that and all of your expertise as a dietitian and as an intuitive eating counselor in a bit. But first, I wanted to ask you, what was your relationship with food growing up like? Did you have a good relationship with food? Was it tumultuous? What was that like growing up and maybe childhood and teen years, let's say? Yeah, I think it was good up until 17. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I was 16 or 17, I think. That's when I remember that some t- changes were happening, which I think is is normal. And I'm, I'm happy it only started that late because yeah. now I, I sometimes talk to people who already started dieting at the age of 10. Wow. Um, and I think maybe um, be, get going on anti-conception had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. I think that changed my body. Um, it also increased my appetite. Um, so that's when I really started to be aware of my body and the changes in my body. Um, and then my first year of university, I think I did my first diet, uh, like a really, really, how do you say, like a rigid diet, mm-hmm. uh, where I lost a lot of weight. And since then, then it's been only, uh, it's been about, I think 12 years that I had a really disordered a relationship with my body, with food, um, and that I just did diet after diet. I was really, you know, going in a diet and then a period without a diet. I think the, the typical, the typical kind of thing, and just going to fluctuation fluctuations in my weight as well. Um, and so, yeah, as a kid, I think everything was pretty normal. I enjoyed a lot of Nutella. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> vegan. Then. That was, I think, one of the, the main things that I survived on. Um, but then, yeah, I think once you have to be responsible for your own food, and I have a mom who's dieting a lot, and that was a big influence on me. Um, and I think also a sister who is uh, older, four years older than me, and we have a totally different body type. Um, she's much more, um, leaner and she, she weighs a lot less. And I think that distorted my image of my body. And I, I I can now say, you know, after all these years that my body is perfectly okay. And that even I, I, I could say, you know, I realize that I have some kind of thin privilege as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't really understand how, how this all came to happen, but I think it's just normal living in diet culture and being surrounded by diet culture. Uh, that is just, uh, that is so well said. And and I think your story, well, your story resembles mine so, so much uh, with just getting started with this downward spiral of, of not appreciating your body, wanting to change it and having that start with the diets. That's how it kind of gets the ball. That's how the ball gets rolling. Uh, and that's interesting. That was going to be my next question. If you had seen dieting modeled in your household, by parents, by caregivers. And that can certainly, I think, uh, mm-hmm. affect our way. It, it, we sort of grow up thinking, well, this is what we're supposed to do after a certain age. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to watch our weight. We're supposed to watch our body size and, and keep everything in check in a way. And it can be so damaging. Uh, do you think that, uh, was it the changes you were seeing in your body that came first? or the diet culture that came first? Mm, that's a good question. I think um, I think the changes in my body. Mm-hmm. I think the changes in my body and just noticing that. And I think, honestly, at the time, I was just becoming more woman and just getting more 
more of my curse. Yeah. Um, and I think that was a, a, dif a difficult thing. But also, you know, there was some moments where I noticed that I was eating a lot in a short period of time. And I, I honestly think that that had something to do, not, not everything, but something to do with that anti-conception. Mm -hmm. um, and after 10 years of taking anti-conception, I've also gone on a whole journey with that and just doing a natural fertility method mm -hmm. um, and just learning about that, which also has opened my eyes about the fact that we're just prescribed um, the pill and that nobody ever really explains to us how the cycle works and that we're only fertile for five days, a whole month, and that men are just fertile for the whole time. Um, so that was also something really, really empowering. Um, I also want to say, it's not that I blame my mom. I think my mom is also just um, a product of her diet culture. And I have tried to explain intuitive eating or make her more of an intuitive eater, but I think it's it's a little bit too late. She's just so used of this way of thinking. So just taking it from that one side of the brain to the other side of the brain with her is just impossible. So yeah, it's just my grandmother. She had four, uh, five sisters as well. So I think diet culture and, and body, yeah, body awareness was very, very big when they grew up. The, the culture also changes and uh, there are certain periods in, in history where the pressure on women's bodies, and I think we're living through one right now, but definitely previous generations had it too, where the pressure is just so present. It's mm. part of your day to day. And uh, yeah, we cannot blame any of our <laughs> of our earlier generations. Yeah. They have gone through what we've gone through. And fortunately, now there are other options to just navigate our way of eating. And, and I also, that's interesting that you say that it was the body changes. I think there are certain times in our lives, and you as a dietitian probably talk about this in your practice all the time, going through... Uh, menopause, going through puberty, going through pregnancy, going through all of these different stages, going through emotional ups and downs that come with life, grief, etc., that they just change our bodies. Mm -hmm. That's a natural part of life. And we just try to resist as much as we can. And I don't think we're we're really prepared for it because the only thing that we know is just manage your body and make sure that it stays healthy and strong and that you work out but we're not really thought that there can be periods i mean now nowadays this message is more around than it used to be when 10 years or 15 years earlier um when i was younger that it was okay with some things that you you didn't feel good and that you didn't want to work out or or that yeah and also i mean body positivity at that time was non-existent. Absolutely not. <laughs> so we are definitely a part of this new mm -hmm. change. It's something new that is taking place. It's yeah. Now let's continue with, with your early years before we get into mm -hmm. the meat of the episode in a way. Um, you, th there is a part of your story that I related to a lot. There is one country that, um, really kind of influenced your appreciation of food, your connection to food. It is uh, the same one that influenced mine in terms of cooking. 
Could you share a little bit about that? Because there is so often when we have these conversations, we focus on the problems we had with food and the issues we had with food, where they come from, et cetera. And we, we kind of gloss over those glimpses and those times in which there was food appreciation and, and uh, just a, just peace yeah, with food. Absolutely. And I think we I think- to highlight those stories. I can say that there was not really peace with my body at the time because I was still very heavily into diet culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I can say is that um, yeah. the simplicity and the freshness of the food that we had there, um, it was also influenced by the person that we were living with who was also older. And I think who also had gone through a process of just appreciating real pure foods, like just a, f- a really fresh tomato, how, how that can taste. Um so that's something that mm-hmm. I that I just yeah realized when we were there, just the freshness and the simplicity about food, and also I think um, having a little bit more time because I was in between jobs, so there was time where I could really experiment with cooking and making recipes and going more. I wasn't vegetarian or vegan at the time, but just cooking more vegetarian or experimenting with vegan recipes, um, and that was really. I mean, I've learned a lot of things. There are still mm-hmm. things that I make now that are my staples that I've learned from making there for the first time. Um, and where is there? Oh, yeah. So it was in the in the south of France. Yeah. Oh, and it, I, I knew it was France, but I didn't know it was the south of France, which is, it has just such wonderful food culture. Yeah, and And such a focus on vegetables as well, like you said. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that's That's wonderful. It was a huge inspiration for me to visiting France, just completely uh, just opened my eyes that there is a real food appreciation there that I think is very valuable. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh, now, when you went back to school to become a dietitian, did you have any knowledge of intuitive eating, of being an anti-diet dietitian, or did you go the mainstream route and then encounter this whole new paradigm? <laughs> it was the second option. I honestly <laughs> can say that I started, um, but it was still, I think it was already something inside me that said, oh, you're so busy. You're always on the neck on the new, the next diet and you're always experimenting. You're always so obsessed with food. So you, it must be your passion. It must be something mm-hmm. that interests you. So, because I was always searching a lot for, okay, what is my passion? What do I really want to do? I had I had um, studied art history and I had worked in there, but then I, being in France, I had really gone away from that word a little bit and it seemed a little bit mm-hmm. superficial now. Then I had started um, caring for animals as a vet assistant. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But then I realized, you know, I, I, I've, I've, I have a, a, di- a diploma from university and I speak some languages and a vet assistant is also just, I mean, it's perfect what they do, but for me, it, it felt a little bit limited also not being able to use my languages or, or just, um, just being in a very assistant like position at a certain age as well, where I felt, okay, maybe I have a little bit more ambition than this. Um, mm-hmm. So then that was where where my idea came of just going back to school and studying to be a dietitian. And I wanted to do it the right way. I didn't want to, I mean, no, no problem with people who are just, um, who are food coaches or anything, but I really wanted to have, since I was at a, at a, at a later age already, I wanted to have the real diploma. Um, mm-hmm. so I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. Um, but I can honestly say that my idea going into that was, yeah, yeah, um, I will help people. And there is an 
obesity epidemic. I'm sorry for using those words, but that was really my idea. You know, people will need dietitians. They will need people. Um, they will need somebody to, to lose weight. So that w was really my initial idea going into there. And it was only during the course of my yeah, my education that it changed for me and that I found intuitive eating, that I became a vegan. Um, so yeah, it's, it's funny that you, that you have that question because honestly, um, I changed dur during the course of this, this, yeah, this whole, um, becoming a dietitian, um, also for myself, because I still had disordered eating and, I was looking for answers. I was looking for help. And then I came to intuitive eating. Um, and so sometimes the courses or the things that were said during the lessons did not really resonate with me anymore because there was a lot of uh, still like traditional food nutrition, um, mm -hmm. how do you say, like nutrition science that we saw that was focused on, okay, you need to have some meat on your plate and drink milk for calcium and stuff like that. And that re felt really weird. And then also all the diets that we went through. Um, so while, while I was learning more for myself about intuitive eating and actually healing myself through, through um, learning more about intuitive eating. I love hearing about your journey. And I think Probably, I, 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 this is just a number that I am completely making up. I am inventing it on the spot. But I would say that maybe, what, 80, 90% of dietitians that end up being anti-diet dietitians go into this career thinking, this is how I'm going to solve the weight issue. I'm going to find, finally, the answers to, you know, become thinner or make my patients or my clients thinner. I think that that's the way we get into it. And I, and I also think there's, there is so much in the careers we choose. I mean, psychologically, there is so much of what we need, where we need, even if we can't consciously put a finger on it and say, okay, what I'm doing, it might be disordered, I might have this very unhealthy relationship with food. And I'm finding a way because I know that there needs to be healing there. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm very interested in in writing. I write a lot and I read a lot of books about writing. And there's this there's this kind of saying that says you write the book you need to read and you sort of forge that path of something that deep within us, we are trying to find answers for. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the answers don't come in the way we thought they were going to come, yeah. which is inspiring. I, I think it says a lot when people go through this very traditional training and yet in there they see, hmm, not all the answers are here. No. There's this whole other world that we need to start talking about. Yeah. Yeah. If, I find your journey so inspiring. Yeah. The, um, the thing that, that did help about, about, I mean, the thing that really did make a difference was learning about the whole biochemical part of digesting food and the way that our body works. And that actually really, really helped me in appreciating my body more, just understanding this and just learning more about nutrients. So that's what I try to do when people, um, wh when I do give advice about food, I do think that people should have a certain basic um education about food how we digest it how our body works what's good for our body in terms of 
health and just functioning. Um, so mm -hmm. that really, really resonated with me. Um, but then there were other things that didn't really resonate. And then I waited until I finished my, my uh, st three year studies to specialize myself or to go do extra, um, extra courses about plant-based nutrition. And then of course the intuitive eating, um, yeah, counselor education. What I also wanted to say is that, um, what you say is true that a lot of Uh, dietitians start by studying this, um, mm -hmm. having their own disordered eating yeah. patterns and their own disordered relationship with food and their body. Um, and I can honestly say that I really recognize this. And there were two other girls that studied uh, with me that were my age. So we were all, uh, we were, all three of us were 10 years older than the other girls, uh, mostly girls, of course, they were There were boys, but it was mostly girls, which is also kind of a typical thing. Um, and I noticed that all three of us had some kind of difficult relationship with food and with our bodies. Um, and yeah. what I remembered years after is um, that I wrote the book Anti-Diet. I read the book Anti-Diet mm -hmm. uh, by Christy Harrison. I don't know if you're familiar yes, with she's it. She's incredible. She, she, yeah. she is, I make her responsible, even though she is not very much on the vegan train. Uh, she is responsible for healing or beginning my healing with my relationship with food, which was very disordered. Mm -hmm. Her podcast changed my life. It's how I found intuitive eating. So yes, all of our listeners know who Christy is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So same thing for me. Uh, I think I learned so much through her podcast. It was really like the entryway into intuitive eating. And I remember yeah. that in her book, Anti-Diet, she wrote that she was that, you know, she was the ultimate victim of intuitive, of uh, diet culture, because yeah. you're so obsessed with food and diets that you think it must be your passion and that you have to pursue a career into it. But then ultimately you notice, oh my God, it was just this diet culture made me do it. Um, but I'm <laughs> diet culture yeah. made me do it. We should have t-shirts made with that little slogan. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. But ultimately, I'm happy that I came out on the other side and that I just really found my path into this. Yeah, I, I, I think that so many wonderful professionals in any area that has to do with some kind of suffering, psychology, eating disorders, dietetics, there, I always find that the professionals who have struggled with it themselves are often the most helpful. Mm -hmm. They know and understand and recognize the language that clients come to them with when they say a certain phrase. They know, mm -hmm. they know, mm -hmm. they understand. And I, I, I am, I'm so glad that you found healing through it. And sometimes that's the first person that needs to heal. It's, it's us and then we can help others. And that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I have heard very staggering statistics of the amount of people in, uh, in these studies of, of becoming a dietitian that do have, um, very disordered habits with food. Yeah, absolutely. And Yeah, but um, I'm glad that now we have these approaches. It's it's really incredible. And and in regards to that, just in case we have any new listeners, because as you probably know, and as all our listeners know, I talk about intuitive eating all the time. I recommend the book in pretty much every episode I record. It changed my life. It it completely saved me. It healed my relationship with food and years of suffering. Could you share from 
your professional perspective. What is intuitive eating and why is this approach the one you found helpful to help your clients? Yeah. Um, so it's a framework that was um, developed by two American dietitians, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. In, and they actually wrote, I think they developed it prior to writing the book, but the book came out in 1995. Mm -hmm. um, and so the framework is in one way, it's anti-diet. So it rejects diet culture because it talks about why diets don't work, that they're actually more the cause of our disordered relationship with food and our bodies. And it goes through um, reconnecting with your body. So actually taking food and thinking about food from one part of your brain to the other part of the brain. And that's the part of the brain that's more intuitive, not the rational part of the brain or the structural part of the brain, but really the creative, intuitive side and just reconnecting to our bodies. Um, mm -hmm. So they work with this term that says um, interoceptive awareness. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so interoceptive awareness. And that's what they, they want to really make sure that we make this connection with our body again and that on one side we take away everything that is in the way of making this connection for example diet culture for example um kind some different kinds of voices that we have in our heads or just conceptions about good or bad food or not allowing ourselves to eat certain kind of foods because people have it's been ingrained in us that there is something like healthy and unhealthy and good and bad so they want to take those inhibitions away and just make the the ways that we can listen to our body um, and signals certain signals of our body they just want to make sure that those become bigger um, and that we become more aware of those so for example um, so they start with rejecting the diet culture explaining why diets don't work what what all the effects are and that is something that I do with my clients as well it's like really closing a certain door. If we want to go towards intuitive eating, there is a certain door that needs to be closed and that's the door towards diets. And so I, I take quite a long time to just analyze with them what their kind of rules were or are, where they came from, um, what their thoughts are on diet mentality. And mostly it's, they come to me because they have this kind of, um, chaos in their head around food and it's it's a very uh, difficult relationship with food with their bodies and they kind of know they don't want to diet anymore they've heard about this and they know it's not their option anymore but they don't really know what to do so I think a lot of time just looking at diets what the effect is of diets so that they know even I mean they they they're 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 allowed from eating. Even if they want to try another diet, they will probably much faster realize all the effects it's having on them. And mm -hmm. I, I assume stop more quickly and just not be able to do it anymore. But I always invite them to say, you know, if you want to have try another diet, go ahead. But now that you've learned about all the effects that it has, you will be much more aware um, how it affects you. And then it's looking at how we can listen to our bodies as far as the hunger signals, trying to recognize this signal, which is a very natural signal, but that we have learned in all these years through maybe um, rules from our parents or um, or the first diet that we start to do is just not li listen to our hunger signal anymore and what this does to our body. And then listen to your satisfaction as well, but also different other kinds of things such as 
making sure that you have pleasure from eating your food, that what you eat, that you find your own unique identity into what you like to eat. Because a diet is something that is a something that you take from outside or rules that you take from outside. And it's maybe not necessarily mm -hmm. the things that you like to eat. So I think it's really important to discover that and just have some kind of pleasure around that so that you can have the satisfaction. And then of course, we also look at emotions um, and a part of emotional eating disappears when you quit dieting, but then there's, are they maybe different kind of emotions or maybe kind of um, self-care base that we can establish so that you, because I, I noticed that when, when people are in a state of life where maybe their job isn't really good to them or they have a difficult relationship with people around them, then the disordered eating can sometimes be a way to, to manage that. And when you find a way to just be more aware of what makes you happy and find some balance in your life as well, then the emotional eating for a part can also disappear. Food certainly becomes a coping strategy. And that can go, I think, two ways. And I've experienced both. I've had, I had years during my childhood before diet culture um, made its way to me in which food was a coping strategy and that it was the only way I distracted myself from painful situations. And then when diet culture came in, it was the controlling of the food mm -hmm. that was the coping strategy. And so uh, it, it's it's finding a different way. It's really going into the the issues and 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 letting food take its place, I think. Mm -hmm. That is so interesting. I loved what you said about the closing of that door, that the closing of that door of diet culture is so hard. When we have relied upon, uh, and when, when everybody around us sometimes, I mean, I don't, I don't have, I have very few friends in my inner circle that have embraced intuitive eating and, and that have peace with food all of most of them are still immersed in this culture. So you're getting these messages and conversations all the time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and saying, saying goodbye to that. It's almost like a constant practice of reminding yourself, eh, the solution isn't there. Like we've tried that already. That doesn't work. We, we have found a new way, but it is so, so difficult. Mm -hmm. um, I have more questions about that, that I'll, that I'll ask you in a second, but when you were talking about going into these specific areas like intuitive eating and also studying all of the basics of of plant-based uh, diet diets and and all of that was being vegan ever an issue when getting your intuitive eating counselor certification this is a question that i have always wanted to ask someone and i've never had somebody to ask <laughs> actually no not at all because for me eating a vegan diet had, had nothing to do with, it was really, really based on ethics. And mm -hmm. I made this decision based on a few videos that surfaced here in Belgium about um, what went on in slaughterhouses. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I can say, I can also say that living in France helped uh, develop my love for animals because I was caring for 20 dogs there, 20 dogs oh that goodness. were rescued from, from shelters. So 
that was really, I, I never had, um, I mean, my parents are not big animal lovers and we never had pets growing up. Um, but now I noticed that I'm someone who has a big, big heart for animals and I just, I, I can love them so I mean, so much and so un unconditionally. So for me, being vegan has nothing, had not really to do with, has nothing to do with, with, yeah, restricting my diet. Um, mm -hmm. And the restriction that I maybe oppose on myself is not, um, is one that is voluntarily and it's not a difficult one. It's just, I don't want to take part in eating animal products or hurting, hurting animals. Um, and I'm also, honestly, I can say, I mean, I call myself a vegan, but, um, I probably, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent vegan. I do sometimes eat animal products. I never eat meat and fish anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes there's, eggs or and then I try to be aware to make sure that it's eggs from from a, a good provenance um or they will be you know when I visit my parents there might be some cheese somewhere and I'm not very super strict about that as well I mean at home I try to be as vegan as I can be and it's really something that I feel good about um but um and sometimes I struggle with that you know the fact that I call myself a vegan but I then know that oh, maybe I have to call myself a 95% vegan or something like that but I know that's also something that is opposed from outside of myself. Um, so I try not to have too much guilt around that. And that's maybe the, also the intuitive side of that. Um, and so for me, no, it, intuitive eating, I, maybe I can say that feeling or eating, eating vegan or eating plant-based has also maybe helped me eating more intuitively because it feels feels better and and just yeah it's more connected yeah in a way yeah. for me it's been that way a hundred percent and and I like you made this choice to be vegan uh due to ethics I love animals it makes me so upset to see what we've put them through in our agriculture system and I didn't want to I didn't feel like eating them anymore no and I love that you were uh, so honest about being imperfect. I think uh, we need to open up that conversation more in vegan spaces. Mm -hmm. I think it would welcome so many more people in to mm -hmm. know that it is not this uh, just th that there isn't this food police that's going to come knocking at your door that all of us have different circumstances, different situations, moments in life in which we couldn't make a perfect choice and and how that is wonderful. And I do I don't know how this is for you, but for me, because of my issues with food and and being very disordered with food, that affected my life in in ways I, i'm I'm still grappling with today. I can still look back at that younger version of myself and see so much suffering. and and it's still something that i it, it causes me so much pain to think about. And for me, being at a peaceful place with food comes first and being a perfect vegan comes second in a way. Mm -hmm. Like I, I do not want to damage my mental health for the sake of, of, of being a hundred percent perfect, if you will. I don't know if maybe you feel in a similar way, but I think we do need to protect ourselves when we've had a tumultuous relationship with food. And I think we are still wonderful vegans by doing, I mean, we're making so many of these choices. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very special and wonderful. Would you 
suggest that to somebody who came to your office with these kind of two aspects to them? They're vegan, but they have had a disordered relationship with food and sort of protecting that first. Well, I always try when I when I interview people for the first time, um, it's always a question that I asked them if they eat plant-based is why do you eat plant-based? And it's very easy to, to notice why they do it. If they say that it's for health reasons, then I know that there might be some restriction uh, because mm -hmm. they're maybe hoping for some kind of magical weight loss or magical um, diseases that are, because that's something that is very ingrained into the plant-based nutrition. Yeah. Uh, and that's something... Yeah that I, I was there at a certain time as well, but I've now moved away from that. It's like, mm -hmm. you will never have cancer, like stupid things. Like you will, you won't have cancer when you eat vegan or this or that, or your immunity, or you will have plenty of energy. I don't have plenty of energy all the time. I mean, <laughs> I'm just a human being and I have, and there's other things affecting that. Um, so there's yes, no... I I always like to say we're eating beans, not magic beans. Yes, yes, yes. But that's sometimes it's a little bit, it's a little bit the advertising maybe also, um, yeah. which I understand. And I, I do think there's a lot of scientifically proven benefits of eating vegan. But mm -hmm. yeah, I always try to see if they say it's for ethical reasons that I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there's no issue because for me, it's not like I feel the need to binge on meat things or, or, cheeses or stuff I don't have that need I might yeah. have a craving here and there but I there's no binges if there would really be binges then I would know that I'm eating vegan for the wrong reasons and that there is some kind of mental or physical restriction but that's not the case it's yeah right. no absolutely not so and what was it uh, in terms of of the question I had asked you about intuitive eating and getting getting certified as an intuitive eating counselor because there's a whole process to that. Mm -hmm. uh, was it, was it something that you disclosed to, to the team uh, when it came to the certificate, getting the certification and, and going through those studies? Do they have additional questions that they ask you about it or is it a non-issue? It's a non-issue actually. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. I don't, re I don't recall and I don't recall it ever be, I think the biggest issue that I had maybe is taking diet culture away from plant-based nutrition, but mm -hmm. nothing um, from the other side. It's not like That's, intuitive uh, eating has a, I know, I know that there is a view on be careful with maybe restricting certain foods and, or do you, are you vegan for, for the right reasons? I mean, right reasons between, between brackets, of course. Um, but they never really asked me about this. And I don't recall that this was ever an issue. I think maybe because I was so at peace with it myself about just yeah. being it for ethical reasons and just, yeah, I think, and I think the most difficulties that I have is just trying to tell people that you're vegan, but then being in a situation where you eat something that is maybe not a hundred percent vegan because it's the situation mm -hmm. and yeah. maybe there's some kind of option that is not really attractive, like being in a restaurant and then you go for the vegetarian option and then people don't understand it and you get some kind of judgment and you have to live with that kind of judgment because they say, oh, you say that you're vegan, but you're eating something very vegetarian. So that doesn't make sense. But I also try to not to not take that too seriously because on the other hand, I don't impose anything on anybody else as well. Right. 
Right. Uh, that is so fascinating to me that they, within the vegan community movement, um, just space, there is more judgment than within the intuitive eating space towards making a choice for ethics. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, yeah, I, I, I do understand. I fully understand the sort of warnings that there are in the intuitive eating space when it comes to vegan diets, because there is a, a statistical connection between eating vegan and restricting in any way uh, and eating disorders. Those numbers are there and it's something to be aware of and something that we have to be very careful of. So I do understand it. I, I completely see, for example, we were talking about Christy Harrison earlier and her podcast, Food Psych. She has been sort of very, very carefully tiptoeing around questions she's gotten about veganism and saying, oh, this is something that you have to be really careful with, see where your motivation lies, because there is a, there is, there can be a connection that we're using it as a very severe form of restriction for other purposes, not due to ethics. So I, I understand that completely, but I also see that there's beginning to be a changing intuitive eating spaces because the realities that of what we're putting the planet through and the animals through everyone is seeing that now mm -hmm. and we're all noticing okay so we have a problem here too and 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 maybe integrating those two in a way that is healthy for someone that isn't disordered so i'm glad to hear that 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 is so good to hear so good to hear <laughs> now let's get into the sort of uh, ins and outs of intuitive eating. I hear a lot from people and when I talk about intuitive eating and they hear that they're going to have to let go of diet culture and uh, say goodbye to the food police and challenge it and that they're going to be allowing foods, previously forbidden foods, not labeling foods as good or bad. They feel that if they let go of all of this, they are just going to be out of control with food. They're going to eat everything in sight. What would you say to someone who has this fear? Um, I think, first of all, it's this shifting away from one brain half where we have put eating and all the food rules and all the diets. And this is good, like very black and white logical thinking to, okay, now you have to tune in with what you really want, what your body really needs. And that is something that can feel very, very unnatural and difficult and where they can have a lot of ups and downs. So I feel, and it's also letting go of control, um, definitely letting go of control that can then think them, make, lead them to think that they will have no control at all, which is not the case. I mean, mm -hmm. we're letting go of control, but we're tuning in with ourselves. So, and I think maybe the part of just eating a little bit out of control is going to be a part of your healing journey towards intuitive eating. Um, but I understand that is something that can create a lot of fear because then you think that your body is not to be trusted because there might be some weight gain. Um, so I understand. And that's, I do have some people who stop working with, with me because I feel, or, and they're honest to me about, I mean, they're not, they say to me that they don't have the mental space 
to be working towards intuitive eating. Um, and they would much rather prefer to have some kind of black and white food schedule or meal plan that they can hold on to. But, and, and I have a lot of, um, I mean, compassion towards that because I understand mm. that uh, trying to be an intuitive eater in the beginning, especially makes for having a lot of awareness and being aware all the time. And that can be very tiring. Um, it, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It is not. Uh, we hear the words intuitive eating and feel, oh, we're just going to relax. We're going to just relax about food. No, if we've had all of these issues with food, it is going to be day to day hard work of dismantling all of these beliefs and, and, and tuning in, mm -hmm. having that awareness. Mm -hmm. It is, it is hard. Yeah. It's hard work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, yeah. the, the biggest part is of course, or one of the biggest parts is allowing yourself to eat everything and just giving yourself unconditional permission. That's a very big part of becoming an intuitive eater, but it's something that can scare us as well, because it's something that we have tried not to do all those years since that first mm. diet is not give ourselves and because we cannot be trusted. Um, but I also try to, to educate people on certain kinds of foods and it not being like healthy or unhealthy or, um, but just letting them know, you know, you might feel out of control with certain foods because those foods are industrially made and they're not giving you the same, um, hunger or no, or satisfaction or, or yeah, it's not a natural recognition of your body of, of what, what is in those foods. And they are made for you to eat a lot of those. But the, the, the important thing is that you, you know this and that you don't judge yourself and that you give yourself permission to eat those. Um, and then as you go through the whole intuitive eating process, we get to a part where taking care of your body with eating healthfully is a big part and and but you need to let go of all the other things first um but i have to say that my clients are very courageous and and i go through all the different principles kind of chronologically with them and mm -hmm. sometimes they have ups and downs sometimes they get it straight away so it depends on the person how many consultations they need um and sometimes they need a lot of ups and downs and they need a lot of consultations before they really finally get it and they are mostly the ones that tell me okay now i get it i understand it and yeah. but it's still difficult i mean it's still difficult because we still live in a world where we are surrounded by messages about food and about messages around our body that make it hard yeah. to be intuitive like you said you have your friends and yeah i have all the, most of the people around me are not intuitive eaters it's true um <laughs> and so diet culture sneaks in but you also have to realize that even though you have maybe done a lot of work there are going to be moments even for me i am an intuitive eating dietitian and sometimes i have body image issues or or there are days that i don't eat that intuitively but then it's all about you know trying to zoom out and just have a lot of compassion for yourself and just yeah, not not going back to, okay, now I need to have a lot of control and go back to a diet and everything will be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have any tips that you, or, or any specific approach that you use to work with people who are, for example, in that stage of challenging that food police and 
letting go of some of these initial ideas that are programmed into us that certain foods are bad, that we have to limit foods, that we have to count calories, count macros, limit carbohydrates, limit fats, whatever it could be for each person, it's different. Um, do you have any suggestions? Because the idea is to begin to allow these foods back into the diet, right? Mm -hmm. Any suggestions for the fear that can come with that? I think it's to counter it with the idea of what happens when you don't allow it. What are mm -hmm. the things that are causing you to have this disordered relationship with your food and your body? What makes you tired? I mean, I, do you want to be stuck in this cycle of control and complete loss of control? Or do you want to try and maybe see what it will give when you tune in with your hunger and your your satisfaction and um and your satiety and you try to include those things maybe on a regular basis and see what it gives and just don't take it so serious as well and in the fact that maybe it's just one day or maybe it's just one meal and that is not going to make the, the big difference we try to I mean, we tend to be so judgmental about one meal or one day of bad eating, um, but that is not going to make the difference. And you you, yeah. you can feel better when you have a, a day that follows where your eating is a little bit more balanced out and then it only takes one day to feel, to feel better again. So I think just acknowledge that that fear is just also maybe a thought and maybe something that we have been taught to, to have. Um, but if you really want to try and trust your body, it's, it's the only way to just go work through that fear a little bit. Yes. And it's that practicing of closing that door that you mentioned earlier that is so important. And we do have to, at some point, be willing to try something new. Mm -hmm. if, if, if we know, and for most of us, it's the case that this other thing that we've been doing for years is not working. Mm -hmm. It is making us more disordered, more obsessed with food. And uh, yeah, that is that is so interesting. And you're right, fear is a thought. We can counteract it. And, and I also, when I've heard testimonials of people who have had very serious eating disorders for years, and they have found recovery, and they are working through their issues with food, they always share within their stories, they talk about how it wasn't that they were able to recover because someone promised them, hey, don't worry, like when you do this, you're not going to gain that much weight, you're just going to stabilize at a weight that is still slim or that or where you're still, it wasn't that it was actually focusing on the life I have with these rules and restrictions. I do not want that life. Mm -hmm. That life keeps me isolated obsessed, um, worried, and speaking badly towards myself, being unkind to myself. It has, it makes me have a boring life. It makes me stay within a very like tight set of rules and a tight closed space. And, and it's really seeing that that does not work, that that is not the life we want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I loved your answer to this question. Oh also, I, I don't force anything upon, upon yeah, I, it's really important to just stay true to yourself and you don't have to go out and eat all the pies and eat all the ice creams and pizzas and fries at the same time. You can just 
still maybe be careful on a certain side of kind of foods, but then let some other kinds of foods in and, and mm -hmm. try to really feel it um, where you want to now just experiment with something. Yes. Now I want to, before I let you go, I want to quickly just explore two of the principles that mm -hmm. are something that I think people can, it, it relaxes you when you know that intuitive eating isn't this abstract thing. There are 10 principles that you can work through. There's a lot of work to be done within each of them. One of them is honor your hunger. And this is something we have not learned to do intuitively in this culture that we live in. And for me, it was the game changer. We are so used to, there's another principle called uh, recognizing fullness or honoring. Um, it, what's the principle exactly with fullness? Is it? Feel, uh, feel your fullness. Feel your fullness. Yeah, yeah. Feel your fullness. Thank you. Um, a lot of people want to like focus so much on that. Okay. I'm going to stop eating when I'm full. That's going to be my new rule. I'm going to make the, I'm going to turn this into a sort of hunger fullness diet. And that's where I'm going to put all my attention. But in my journey, honoring my hunger and focusing on that principle changed everything. So could you talk a little bit about that process? I think it depends a little bit on where your disordered eating is. Um, mm -hmm. And I think for you, not honoring that hunger went together with a lot of the control. Um, mm -hmm. So for you, honor, honoring the, the hunger and just eating whenever you notice that your body is giving you signals that there is food needed, uh, for mm -hmm. you is letting go of that control. Um, and I think um, that, yeah, it's, it's, I understand that it's something for you because you gave this trust to your body. Your body is giving a signal that you have been ignoring for such a long time. And now you're giving your body this trust. Well, okay. When you say, hello, we need some food, you give it some food. Your body is not going to make that such a loud feeling anymore because mm -hmm. your body feels so ignored and then when we're on a diet or anything your body is like really screaming hello we're hungry give us some food you're, you're gonna be focused on food you're gonna be looking up recipes um you're gonna be thinking about food but now you can have this piece of like recognizing this sentiment and just honoring it it's yeah. it's like it's like having to go to the bathroom i mean Mm -hmm. If you're on a bus and you cannot go to the bathroom, I think we all have maybe experienced this and then it becomes so loud that it's the only thing that you can think about. <laughs> and then it's such a big relief when you finally can go. Oh, just imagine yeah. your body going through this with hunger. And this is a, a big part of having this peace in your head around it. But I also like that you say it's not intuitive eating is not the hunger and fullness diet. Of course not. It can be that in the beginning, it feels a little bit forced to honor mm -hmm. your hunger and stop eating when you're feeling full. Um, but then there are going to be times when you cannot honor your hunger um, or when you are going to be eating past fullness. But that's also a big part of intuitive eating is just having this compassion and just noticing what was the situation like, what happened before, what happened after, and what caused this maybe. Um, and so it's also not easy to honor your hunger when you're living a very scheduled life. And that's why I always say to my clients, you know, when you work from home or when you have a holiday, try to really tune in and see when this hunger comes up, try to recognize different signals that you have from feeling hunger um, mm -hmm. and then just honor that. And, and yeah, 
I, I honestly, um, because I think I was the opposite, you know, for me, I wanted this control, but it's not something that I really, I'm, I'm not a perfectionist. And for me, it was really, really, uh, difficult to find that control around food. And I had it for certain periods of time, but then I completely lost it. Um, mm -hmm. and I think it definitely also had something to do with self-esteem. Um, so for me, I, those moments when I lost it, I ate past my fullness so much. I had, I had binges. Um, and I used to never really feel hunger and always say, you know, I'm, I'm just great. I have cravings. I never, I never have hunger. I just have cravings. Um, but now I can honestly say that I, I feel my hunger and I do feel whenever I'm, I'm hungry because I also don't go past that, that point of extreme fullness anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, a. a a kind of dance between the two that we just have to experience it and navigate it within this framework to, to relearn some things and, and, and get to know our bodies more. Mm -hmm. Uh, Charlene, if, if I can say, you know, I, I, I had a, a dietitian here in Belgium and they were talking about all the different kind of diets. Um, and they, he, his critique on intuitive eating, because also in, in Belgium or the Flemish part of Belgium, it's, it's coming up. Um, he said, well, well, uh, people don't have, um, it's not, it's not enough of a framework for people. It's too vague. And that I think is the misconception about intuitive eating. Like you said, there is a framework. There are yes. principles to go through. There is, yes. there is a kind of chronological order to becoming an intuitive eater. And, and no, it's not going to be all ups. Um, it's going to be ups and downs and it's going to be a difficult journey. But yeah, I thought, I thought it was so, so like the opposite of what it, he he really didn't get intuitive eating sadly enough i think it's still a diet a dietitian who's really ingrained into diet culture and then yeah. you know the more healthy side of diet culture like the, the wellness kind of culture um like eat to feel eat to feel good and be healthy and this but he doesn't realize that that people who have struggled with their weight and with diets and self-esteem that people are not really it's not that simple for those people. And so intuitive eating is not for everyone. Absolutely not. I think if you never had a disordered relationship with food, then you might not get it. And I think that's perfectly okay. It's like veganism. It's, it doesn't have to be for everyone. Um, right. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's so important. I, I, I wonder in your practice, is it all centered around the eating aspect or do you tackle things like body image and that incessant desire to lose weight? What would you say to someone who says, okay, yeah, diets don't work for me. I have been in this cycle for too long and I'm suffering, but I still want to lose weight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, to answer your first part of your question it's it's not about food honestly <laughs> i i tell them you know on the first consultation that we have i say okay you can tell me what you eat and we can take a look at that but then i just don't want to talk about what you eat anymore unless of course you have specific questions and i'm always there to answer your questions but for me i'm not going to talk about what you can or cannot eat sometimes i notice that people um need a little bit more education about food to make some kind of food choice. And then sometimes I bring in the tent principle in the beginning, but also being very um, mindful about it and explaining to them that it's normally not what, what is the way to do, but that I notice that they need this kind of information. Um, and then I understand people who want to lose weight and I'm 
I'm very, very clear about that. And if you want to lose weight, and if that's your only expectation of working with me, then I'm going to be very open to you about this because I don't want to mislead anyone. I really want to be yeah. very clear. And uh, not so long ago, I had somebody who who sent me an email and then we had a, a little exchange back and forth. And then I wrote her a very big email about no, I mean, intuitive eating and weight loss, it's not something that is that is connected or, or that is going to happen um, automatically. And I do understand that you still want to eat, that, that you still want to lose some weight and that you have difficulty accepting your body the way that it is. But intuitive eating is just, if, if you keep dieting or if you keep wanting to lose weight, then you this is standing in the way of really connecting with your body and having this trust into your body. So yeah. What I do, and, and there are people that, that say to me, oh, I will, even a few consultations in, they say to me, oh, but you know, uh, my body, I will never love it and I will always hate it. And, and then I have a lot of compassion for that because we still live in a society where it's difficult to not compare yourself. Um, and yes. I had someone who said, oh, but no, I don't have a lot of problems with my body, but oh, yeah, maybe my chins are a little bit too large or and my belly. And then I say, but that's normal because the normal representation is of very small chins and long legs. And, and <laughs> is, that, is that the right word? Do you, it's like the under leg. Yes. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Chins. Yeah. Yes. And, um, uh, and so it's mostly a flat belly that we get to see or advertisement for how to have a flat belly. So it's, we, we find it difficult. Um, so yeah, but I, and then we work as, as you say, we do work on body image and I, and it's not, I mean, body positivity is a good thing, but it's more body neutrality and body respect mm -hmm. that we try to work on. And it's not about loving everything about your body and not, it's not about, okay, now I'm going to pose in my bikini or I'm just going to wear very tight fitting clothes. It's okay to just not feel good about certain things about your body, but can you respect it? And can you try to befriend your body and just try to appreciate for everything that it does for you and maybe appreciate yourself for things that have nothing to do with your appearance or with your body, or maybe be grateful for all the things that your body, I mean, I'm certain that you have heard about this, you know, be grateful that your body, even if maybe all the damage you have done to it and everything you've put through it, it's still there. It's like, it's, it's like a very loyal dog or a pet. It is a, it is a very loyal dog. That is the perfect way <laughs> to see it. We have put it through hell and back if, if we've had any sort of disordered relationship with food and it's still there for us. Yeah. It's still yeah. there giving us energy, digesting our food, helping us move, mm -hmm. helping us work, helping us find the moments of joy. Yeah. yeah. And oh my goodness, Charlene, befriend your body. Mm -hmm. That is such a special way to put it. That's this, the perfect way to, yeah. to round out this conversation. I cannot thank you enough, Charlene, for being with us today. Can you tell people how they can connect with you, uh, if they can have a consultation with you, how to go about that, just share away. Yeah. <laughs> so most of my communication is in, in Flemish, of course, or in Dutch, as we say. Um, so my Instagram is at intuitiveplantaardig, which means intuitive plant-based. Um, and my website is just my name, but maybe you can include it in the show notes. 
I will. I will include everything in the show notes. And by the way, everybody, the Instagram is fantastic. And there is a little <laughs> translate button. You can still take in all of the wonderful information. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, and I, I, I'm, I mean, I, I, if you feel like you want to have a consultation with me and you're somewhere in the world, I mean, I would love to, to be, I'm, I mean, my English, I love speaking English and um, I love helping people in English as well. So don't be afraid. And I do a lot of virtual consultations, even with Belgian or Flemish people. So that's, that's not an issue at all. That is so wonderful. Charlene, I cannot thank you enough for sharing this time with us and all of your expertise. I feel like I could talk to you for three hours straight, but we're going to let you go. And uh, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It was really a big pleasure to be talking with you. Here are some takeaways from my conversation with Charlene. There are certain times in our lives where our bodies go through changes, be it puberty, pregnancy, menopause, or challenging times in life in which we are much more vulnerable to dieting messages and diet culture. But thankfully, there is another way, another way to find peace with food, peace with our bodies, and navigate eating that does not rely on external rules, but rather guided by our own internal systems and cues. It's called intuitive eating. At the base of what intuitive eating is, there is the practice of connection, or rather reconnection, to the messages our own bodies are sending us. It can be very hard to let go of external rules we've relied upon in the many diets that we've tried, but it's important to realize that restriction and dieting is often the cause of our disconnected and disordered relationships to food. Intuitive eating helps us to close the door to dieting. And this is an important part of a process that can bring true healing with food and true peace with that moment of eating. There is space within intuitive eating for our ethics, for keeping our hearts open to help animals and our planet. And the important thing is really tuning into our reasons for being vegan, making sure that this is a true preference and not dieting or restriction in disguise. Letting go of control doesn't mean being out of control. We are tuning inwards, and there is a wealth of information there to guide the way. There is also a full net, a full framework to hold us and catch us on the other side. With tools and resources, and thankfully, the help of fantastic registered dietitians to help guide the way when we need support. Not honoring our hunger is control, and it's in the allowing and in the releasing of that control that so much healing can take place. When reintroducing previously forbidden foods into our diet and being very afraid to do so, remember that these are just thoughts. And one way to begin this practice of allowing is to counteract these thoughts with what we've experienced so far. What happens if I don't let go of these rules, what does that life look like, feel like? Has it worked for me so far? Sometimes we just need to dare to step out of what we've known and into a new approach. And thankfully, we don't have to do it alone. And finally, when the desire for weight loss is still there, when the desire for a specific body type is still there, Body positivity can help, 
but sometimes even more helpful as it centers our worth outside of our body size and appearance, body neutrality, body respect, and befriending your body, realizing all it's done for us and all it continues to do can help us find true healing. Thank you, Charlene, for spending this time with us. Thank you to everyone for listening. Remember to check out all of the links mentioned in today's show in the show notes. And as always, I will see you next week with more.